How many types of love are there? We have one word for love. One word that covers all types and all degrees. Love. I love ice cream. That's different than I love my dog. Completely different. I love my dog is different than I love my friend. I love my friend is different than I love my kids. I love my kids is different than I love my spouse. All different degrees, all levels of love. And there are different degrees in each of those types of love. I don't feel the same degree of love for ice cream as I do for my wife's biscuits and gravy. Just one of those things. I love a good cheeseburger, but nowhere near as much as I love a big old fat juicy steak. Completely different. There's a different degrees of love there. I thought I loved my wife and kids until I was saved. And then the intensity of my love began to grow. I believe it grew tenfold after I received Christ as my Lord and Savior. I can remember after I got saved, I would stand in the doorway of our living room and I would look in at my children and I just remember this love welling up inside of me. I could, the tears would become to my eyes. I, I just, I didn't understand. I didn't understand what this intensity of love that I was feeling. And to this day, even after 31 years, sometimes I just sit and stare at my wife and I think, how in the world did I ever get her? 31 years, I'm still amazed at the feeling and the, the intensity of feeling of love that I have for my wife. To fall in love is totally different than to make love. And you know the thing about the human love, our love is so fickle. I used to love football. I couldn't get enough of football. And then I didn't. I didn't love football anymore. I don't have time for football anymore. Sunday afternoons I would spend watching football, and now Sunday afternoons I spend eating dinner and having time with my family. I used to love golf. I still like to golf, but I just don't have time to golf like I used to golf. I don't love golf like I used to. And I always wonder, how many girls did I say I love you to when I was dating <laughs> until I finally met my wife? I think we call that one puppy love. That was, the, that was honestly the only different degree of love I could even think of was puppy love. We put that on there to trying to kind of give us that idea that it's, it's not real love. It's just, it's just kind of a, a cuddly type of love. And you know, even our most intimate and intense love can be fickle. I've dealt with several couples who have fell out of love over the years. 
You know, if we were completely honest with our wedding vows, instead of saying, until death do us part, they would say, as long as you meet my expectations. 55% of all married couples have been married for at least 15 years. 55%. 35% have celebrated 25 years. Anyone want to guess what percentage sees over 50? Any guesses? Over 50. How many do you think? What percentage? 6%. 6%. The nation average for those who see 50 years worth of marriage is 6%. And in the U.S., the average marriage lasts 82 Two years. That's the average. Now, in some of the better states where the average is a little higher, it ran between 10 and 14 years was the average lifespan of a marriage. Now, I find it interesting, and I, and I love the fact that uh, in the Greek language, the, I found eight different types of descriptions of love. Eight different type, eight different words that they use that talk about love. Number one, first one is eros or eros. We get the word exotic or erotic. I'm sorry, erotic. We get the word erotic from that. This is a sexual passion. Eros is, is a primal and a powerful fire that burns out quickly. It has to have one of the other loves in order to maintain it. Otherwise, it flares up in a flame, and then it goes away just as quickly as it flares up. And it is centered around selfish aspects of love. Eros. Number two, philia, or phileo, I've heard it called, which this is a friendship love. We've heard of Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love. Phileo, philia. This is the love between two equals, two friends, two buddies. A love between friends who have endured hard times together. And then there's storge. This is a natural form of love. This often flows between parents and their children or children and their parents. This love isn't one you learn. This isn't one that grows. It's a natural love. It's a family love. Ludus, I had never seen this one before. This is actually a playful love. This goes along with kind of the Eros idea. Uh, this affection is between young lovers. The feeling that we have when we go through the early stages of falling in love. You remember that. The heart fluttering, the flirting, the teasing. The euphoria when you get around those people. Look at the young couple in the back. They still, they still have that ludus going on back there. Look at them all cuddled up. There's a pretty good gap of separation for those of you who have been married for a while. <laughs> but that's that, 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 that playful type of love, that, that constantly flirting with each other, and, and that, that excitement that you feel when you come into their presence. You know, unfortunately, too often this love is lost 
over a long-term relationship. And here's another one I'd never heard of, mania. Mania is an obsessive love. This one's not healthy. Uh, This one is usually somebody with low self-esteem, and they find their worth in somebody loving them. These people become obsessive. They become possessive. They become jealous. And then there's pragma. This is enduring love. This is aged love. This is mature love. Those of you who are, who are warmly separated, that have been together for a lot of years, you have pragma. You find this kind of love in married couples who have been together for a very long time. This love is hard to find as we looked at the statistics of the years of marriage You see, we spend so much time and so much energy trying to find love. And then we spend so little time learning how to maintain it. You see, this is the result of effort on both sides. It is the love between two people who have learned to make compromises who have demonstrated patience, who have demonstrated tolerance. They've done all these things to make their marriage work. Philantia, this is self-love. Now, not in an unhealthy vanity type, not those who like to sit around and stare at themselves in the mirror. This is talking the type of love that you are, that you are happy in your own skin. That's a, that's a term we hear all the time, that you're happy with who you are, that you love who you are. You love who God has created you to be and who you have become in the Lord. It's a healthy love. You cannot share what you do not have. If you do not love yourself, you cannot truly love anyone else either. And then, of course, number eight, we've all heard the word agape. This is a selfless love. The highest and the most radical type of love. This love is truly unconditional This love is bigger than ourselves. It has a boundless compassion and an infinite empathy. It is the purest form of love. Free from desires, free from expectations. This love loves regardless of flaws and of shortcomings. This love says, I choose to love you, not because you deserve it, but because I choose to love you. And you know, the thing that I have learned is very few people have this ability to love this way. Very few people have the ability to love with agape love, this unconditional love. We always put stipulations. 
We always have limits. We always say, I will love you this far. But very few people say, I will love you even when you're unlovable. 1 John chapter 3, and verse 1 through 3, we're going to read this morning. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we would be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are the sons now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear that we shall be, but we know that when we shall when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Now, I notice that very first word, behold, is capitalized in mine. It's all caps, every one of these. Behold, as if he is making a, a very forceful statement. You see, John is overcome with a wonder and amazement with the fact that a sinner like him, a sinner like you, a sinner like me, by divine grace, can become children of God. He's overcome with that. He he is blown away by that. Let me ask you this. Does it ever cross your mind that you at one time were the enemy of God? Romans chapter 5, verse 10. And by the grace and grace alone, God made you his child. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever sit back and just think about the fact that the God of this universe, the God that created everything, would take time to love you enough, even when you were unlovable, even when you were the enemy of God, to pour out his love upon you, to make you a child of God? Do you ever think about that? That's where John's at. He's just blown away even thinking about it. You see the opening phrase of this section, see how great a love. In mine it says, behold, some of yours might say see. It expresses John's complete amazement at this thought. The word that's translated see or, or, or behold here is a command. A command that says, pay close attention to what I'm about to tell you. Pay close attention to the rest of what I'm about to say. Listen up, is what he's saying. I used to have a teacher that when he would be teaching us, giving us our lessons, and we knew that we had a test coming up, When he would cover a certain subject that was inside of that test, he would go. And we knew to take notes. We knew that that when he did that, we stopped doing it. If we were gawking, if we were, when we heard that knocking sound, we paid close attention and we took close notes because we knew it was in the test. John is knocking this morning. Listen up. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. 
because you're going to be tested on this. How great a love. How great. This word is seldom used in the Second Testament. It's only used seven times in the whole part of this. Seven times. How great. And you know, unfortunately, there is no English word that, that parallels it. There's no English word that means exactly what this word means. It implies a reaction of astonishment. An action of admiration. The expression conveys both quality and quantity. It talks about the quality of God's love, and it talks about the quantity of God's love. What glorious and measureless love that God pours out upon us. You see, God loves his children with a love that is impossible to explain and impossible to express. You see, it's, foreign, it's completely foreign to the normal human being. Completely foreign, foreign from understanding, let alone any type of experience that the Father gives us. This is agape. Agape love. This is the love of God's will. Of his own choice. Undeserved by us. And yet, he so freely, as John says, bestowed it upon us. John chapter 15 and verse 13 says this. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down one's life for his friend. And then 1 John, as we'll learn later on, chapter 4, verse 9 through 10, in this, the love of God has made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins or to make us right before God. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. We had no capability to love him. We were lost sinners. And while we were the enemies of God, God loved us anyway and sent his son to die for us while we were yet the enemies of God. You see, this love seeks at great cost. At great cost to itself. And it's given freely. It's sought at grace cost. It's given freely. Even though the person is unworthy of that love. And for God the cost was the death of his only begotten son. A great cost. Last week we talked about hope. This 
love is the unshakable foundation of our eternal hope. Because of the love that we have experienced through God, by God, the foundation of the hope that we have for eternity is very strong. It's unshakable. It's unbreakable. It's unmovable. <clears throat> in other words, we can live in this hope because we have experienced his love. God's love. God's love in saving us. God's love in keeping us. Back many years ago when my wife and I were fostering children, that was about as close humanly possible that we came to this type of love. You see, those kids didn't deserve our love. And most of those kids didn't want our love. And many of those kids came in as our enemies. And yet we took them into our homes. We fed them. We clothed them. And we protected them. We did that at our own cost. And we loved them the best way that we knew how. And most of them never appreciated what we did. Most of them never appreciated the sacrifice that we made of our family, of our finances, of our home. Some of them we even adopted into our family. Not any longer as foster children, but is now adopted into the Page family to take the Page name and to be our children. One of which left and never came back. Haven't seen nor heard of her since. No thank you, no I love you, just gone. Packed up, moved away, got married, and gone. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not have, they would no doubt have continued with us, as John said. Although we brought them into our family, although we gave them our name, although we offered every part to our family... They left out. And so therefore, they never really were a part of us. And many of you know my daughter, Kayla, who is a big part of our life, who has given me a very beautiful granddaughter. She's the cutest little thing. Oh, my goodness. Kayla's our success story. Kayla's the one that we brought into our home who appreciates everything that we did. And she's just as much a part of my family as any of my other children. She's got a good husband. She's got a good faith in Jesus Christ. She's got it going on. And that's about as close to this type of love that God pours out upon us. That unconditional love. 
that we do not deserve. You see, God adopted us into his family so that we might be called the children of God. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever take time to thank God for that? If you are a believer, if you have been saved, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, then you, my friend, are a child of the creator of the universe. Think about that. Hmm. Completely. Because he so lavishly bestowed his love on us. Unmerited, undeserving, and sometimes even unwanted. You see, such love is inexplicable in human terms. You can't explain it. You can't describe it. You can't tell people that type of love and make them understand it. And yet, we are prone to take it for granted. We become Christians. We come to church. We live our lives. And how many times do we stop and think about this lavish love that God has poured out upon us. Hmm. He says the world does not know us. The world does not know us. They do not understand us. Sometimes they do not even like us. You see, none of this makes any sense to them. None of this makes sense to the world outside. Why would you give up your time? Why would you give up your love? Why would you give up your money for a God that you can't even see? A God that you can't even touch? John says it's because they don't know him. It doesn't make sense because they don't know him. You see, and then there are some of you, some of you are fanatics. You are the ones that are the hardest to understand. You are the crazy ones. You are the ones that show up on a Friday night just to come in and sing songs, sing songs of praise to God. What kind of crazy person gives up a Friday night? You're the fanatics that show up on a Saturday to come in and do work on a building so we can join together on a Sunday. You're the fanatics. You come to church twice on Sunday. Are you kidding me? And then right in the middle of the week, you interrupt your work week to come out here to to learn and to study about this God. And you're taking your hard-earned money And giving it to a a, a church? You're the fanatics. You're the crazy fanatics that would climb into a van, pack to the gills, and head to Kentucky just so you can go see the ark. Y'all are fanatics. But they don't understand that. 
I had people ask, you're, you're going to give up your anniversary to go spend the week with a bunch of people from church? Yeah. Yeah. They don't understand it because they don't know him. They don't understand it because they have no relationship with him. You see, even believers struggle sometimes to understand, especially the fanatics. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19 says this. Together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Sometimes even we as believers have a problem understanding the width, the height, the depth of his love. You see, the Bible calls us strangers and exiles in Hebrews 11. He calls us aliens in 1 Peter he calls us aliens and, and, and strangers in 1 Peter 2. Look at verse 2 again. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear that we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Listen, I don't know about you, but heaven sounds so attractive to me. And not just because I will see him, but because I will become like him. I am so tired of this wretched man that I am. I am so looking forward to the day that I will be like him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 49 through 53 says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this imperishable body must put on imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. And Romans eight twenty nine says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We will be made perfectly holy and righteous. How exciting is that? How exciting is that? Now look at verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. This hope, this hope in Christ's return should change the way you live. You live differently because you believe he's coming back. It has an effect 
on your lifestyle. It has an effect on the way you live because you believe he's coming back. You see, when our hope is fixed on him, it produces this desire to be more like him. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. To purify himself. Listen, this doesn't mean that you pull yourself up by the bootstraps. <clears throat> this is not self-sanctification. This is relying on the work of the Holy Spirit and obeying Scripture. This is what it's talking it's about. Nothing that you do, it's God giving you the power to change your life, to live a better life, to live a more holy life by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Scripture and obeying the Scripture. Fix your hope on Christ and become more like Him day after day after day. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This should be our goal. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14 says this, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have been taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And we'll close with this. John MacArthur puts it this way. Those who are abiding in Christ, manifesting righteousness gratefully, gratefully recognizing God's love towards them, being increasingly confident that they have a hope that will not disappoint. Not even life's worst trials can diminish their eternal confidence in the promise of God. In fact, the more difficulties believers encounter in this life, the stronger and brighter their hope becomes. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance. Perseverance brings proven character. Proven character, hope. 
And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Would you stand to your feet? Last week, John talked to us about a hope, a hope in a life that looks bleak, a hope in a life with troubles and trials. We continue on and we continue to push because of that hope that we have in eternity. And then this week, John reminds us of the love that gives us that hope. The love that sometimes we take for granted. The love that sometimes is inexplainable, but so real within us. And that hope is our foundation. That love is our foundation. Father, we thank you. What a wonderful word you have given us today. And God, I am so thankful for the love that you have so lavishly poured out upon each and every one of us. And God, I pray today for each one of us who proclaim your Son as their Savior, that we take time to think about the cost, to think about the undeserved love that we receive from you every single second of every single day. And I pray, God, that as we think about this love and we think about all that you have done for each of us, God, that we walk with a joy, a joy that is brought on by the hope, that is brought on by the love. And God, may we look forward to the things ahead, forgetting the things behind, as Paul said. And now go with this, Father. As we leave this house, I pray you give us many opportunities, Father, to share this love to a lost and dying world. And we ask all these things in Jesus' very precious name. Amen. God bless you. We are not having service tonight. I have to leave to go out of town. And so uh, we canceled service for tonight. Thank you for coming.